All right. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Matthew. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to have you uh, online or in the room. Uh, if you have a copy of Scripture, go to Matthew 22. Go to Matthew 22 with me. Now, honest, honest question. How many of you yesterday afternoon while watching the Chiefs game, your prayer life improved and it increased dramatically? Come on. Yeah, I know some of you were praying like you ain't never prayed before. Oh, Lord, please let that tape job on his ankle work. I know. I know. It's all good. It's good. It's good, uh, good, good to be with you. Hey, uh, Matthew 22, if you don't have a, a copy of Scripture maybe with you, uh, you can pull out your phone and scan the QR code. It's on the screen. It'll take you to a spot on our central hub where you can read the notes, read the Scriptures, take some notes on your own, email them to yourselves later, and uh, we'll go from there. Hey, we've been in a collection for several, several weeks now, kind of talking about the kingdom of God. How, what is the King Jesus gospel? And looking at the things Jesus taught, looking at the things Jesus demonstrated, looking at the things Jesus invites us into as a result of this kingdom that was breaking in, this revolutionary new way to be human and to relate to God. And that's what we've been studying. And we've come to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 1. Jesus is going to tell us a great story about a really cool banquet. Jesus told them other parables and he said this, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king. Somebody say king. Who, was, who has prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was all ready, he sent his servants to notify those who had been invited. But they refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, well, the feast, it's been prepared. The bulls and the fattened cattle have been killed. The steaks are off the grill. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm because there were many chores to be done. Another to his business because you got to make more money. That side hustle ain't going to hustle itself. You better go, go, go. Some went their own way to their kids' activities, and they were too busy to disciple their kids because they were too busy cultivating uh, an understanding in their kids' lives that the more that you do, the more valuable that you are. Some didn't respond and say yes to the invitation because grandma needed this and there were TV things to watch and a new series on Netflix and so much outrage to be posted about on social media because inflation and people and immigration and somebody's got to hear my opinions. Others seized his messengers, insulted them, and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners. I'll invite anyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled now with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? 
But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. These are the words of the Lord. Let's, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for telling us a story that helped us see that you're inviting us to a party. Help us become party people. Amen. Have you ever uh, been invited to a party but decided not to go? And then later you looked online and it looked like an absolute epic, wonderful time. And you kind of immediately kind of began regretting not going. And you remember that your excuse really wasn't a good one. You just didn't go, didn't make space to go. There is something to be said about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is trying to get us to understand. This idea that the king has prepared a great feast and he sent out invitations. Now, inviting people to a party is risky, isn't it? Because what if they decide not to come? What if they decide they don't want to come and participate? What if they decide it's not for them? What if they just say, no, invitations are risky risky things. This past Thanksgiving, my wife and I, uh, we decided, hey, let's have a Friendsgiving the day after Thanksgiving. We gathered Thanksgiving with family, but like, hey, let's grab some friends and let's come over. So we prepared a lot of food. I had smoked and then deep fried a turkey. Come on, it was a taste of heaven, friends. It's delicious. And we had everything prepared and uh, one of our friends came over early and kind of helped get the things ready. And then one by one, the text messages started rolling in. Hey, we can't make it. We're sick. Hey, we can't make it. We got, we got uh, a family in town. Hey, we, we can't make it. Such, such and such is going on. And one by one, we recognize we've got no friends. <laughs> now it's just, just kidding. And so we, we, we've made since uh, the Lord has convicted us and we've given forgiveness and we've gotten over the offense and we're not bitter or holding grudges whatsoever. They're our friends for the most part still. <laughs> but we were left with all of this food and we we're like, what are we going to do? So we just started calling people. Hey, you probably don't have a life. Why don't you come over and hang out with us? You don't have any plans today. Why don't you come? And so surely but, but slowly people started coming and we were able to eat food and celebrate and we enjoyed just another great feast with friends. There was something fun about a party like that. But parties like that don't happen by accident. They happen because someone is taking a risk. There's an invite that goes out. We began last Sunday entering or last couple weeks now we've kind of entered into a new section of the gospel of Matthew we've entered into a section where Jesus is kind of stopped proclaiming this is what the kingdom of God looks like this is the invitation and he started more telling stories and preaching illustrated messages as he's beginning to confront the religious people in Israel those who were claiming a spirituality but yet had no life within them. People who attended synagogue week after week after week, who thought they had the right to be called God's child simply because of their heritage, their nationality, and their roles. But he was ex asking them and confronting them to simply examine not just the proclamation of their faith, he was asking them to examine the practice of their faith. 
the, the practice of their allegiance. What does their life really look like? Is it embracing and participating in the kingdom of God? Here's the big idea today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. We're going to unpack this and look at it from a few different angles. But here's the big idea today. When the radiant people of God stop banqueting, they become the staunchly religious people claiming to have God's favor, but he no longer shows up in their midst. See, religion has a way of sucking the life of God right out of a room and a person. When we start living with this sense where we stop finding joy in our fellowship, it turns to a staunch obligation to try to impress God. When we lose the delight of the daily practice and devotion of our discipleship, it easily turns into an elite entitlement where we cultivate a sense no longer of spiritual vibrancy. Instead, we trade it for spiritual snobbery looking our noses down at other people and their lives, all the while the one that we say we are worshiping and adoring is not in our midst anymore. You know the, the, the story, the, the movie, the illustration, the cartoons of one Dennis the Menace? You remember Mr. Wilson? Mr. Wilson! All Dennis wanted was a friend, and all Mr. Wilson wanted was peace and quiet. And Dennis certainly was a bit of a menace, but it's the face, it's the grumpiness, it's the curmudgeonness, it's the, um, the annoyance on Mr. Wilson's face that easily becomes our disposition when God no longer is among us where we trade in our obligation and our rote spiritual performance and our religious religiousosity rather than cultivating a devotion and a life with God. See, because scripture says uh, God honors those who honor him. In other words, if you want to know who's gonna, who, who God is honoring, it's those who honor God. Why? Because God goes where he's welcomed. God goes where people are adoring him and honoring him. God goes to those who say, I want to go to the party and be with the king. God honor his face, his presence, his favor rests on a people. He manifests his presence. He manifests himself. He gives his abiding presence to those who have given their allegiance to him. This is the invitation. This is what it looks like. The, the, the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turning from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. In other words, my presence, my face, my countenance, my life will go towards those people who recognize that they are to seek me with all of their heart because I'm seeking and waiting for them to respond to the invite that I've sent out. See, friends, when God's presence shows up, joy is a result because in his presence is fullness of joy. Some of us are anemic on our joy. Why? Because we are never in God's presence. We aren't seeking his presence we aren't hosting and welcoming. We are not cultivating devotion in a relationship with him. We just show up and visit the party on the weekends where other people are experiencing him. But we're not experiencing him on our own. 
and oh, it's on our face. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor, check and see if they're smiling. Just check, just check. Turn to the next person that you rejected the first time and just smile at them and give them a big smile. Go ahead, go ahead. Frederick Dale Bruner said it like this, the joy of discipleship is also caught in the words, wedding party. The invitation is not to a funeral. Jesus' call for his people to repent, to turn around and face God was a call to joy. In other words, following Jesus ought to be fun and it ought to fill you with joy and excitement. If you're following Jesus and you're not filled with joy or having fun, you're not doing it right. If it's like, I got to go do this and I'm obligated here and I've got to go here and I better make sure this happens and cultivate this and do this thing and check this, check that, and you're doing it wrong. Because the invitation is to come and feast and have a party. Like to enjoy life. To experience the flourishing life of God. The call to be his disciple is an invitation to feast and come and find joy in being with him. It's an invitation In fact, if we're going to not reject this invitation of God, let's examine what God is really after. Let's examine our own hearts in light of the story that Jesus told because we don't want to become the people that he sends an invite to who then reject him. We want to be those who are welcomed and attend the party and recognize that the call is to come to a party, not call to be bored out of our ever-loving minds. What's the invitation? What's the main invitation of the kingdom of heaven? Here's the first question I want us to ask and answer today. What's the main invitation from God? What's the main invitation from heaven? It's this. It's an invitation to a wedding. It's an invitation to come and be married to him. It's an invitation to come to a banquet, a feast, a dinner party that is delicious and wonderful. It's a call to full life of a relational flourishing. The invitation of the kingdom of God is for you to encounter Jesus and give your allegiance to him and experiencing a relationship that brings fullness of life to you now and ongoingly. That's the invitation of heaven. This October, Amber and I will have been married for 20 years. We have a picture of our wedding right here. Look at that couple. Come on. My wife looks the exact same, stunning as ever. Me, you will notice I have frosted tips. That's right. I can rock frosted tips. I traded in the frosted tips for a mustache, but if they make a comeback, I can still rock them frosted tips if I gotta. Don't you worry about it. Oh, we were in love, probably a little dumb, but in love nonetheless. At our wedding, I have uh, just, just one regret. And, and no, it's not that I married her. That's not the regret. Don't try to get me in trouble, people. I, I have one kind of, ah, I wish we would have done this different. You know, here's the one thing I wish we would have done. I wish that we would have had a venue and an opportunity just to sit and feast with our family and friends. It was kind of like a quick, got to get in, got to get out. Then you had to get turned around and we had to be out at a certain time. And so it was a bit of a quick wedding in that regard. I, I wish we would have sat and feasted and enjoyed and laughed and celebrated and danced and 
friends, this is what the abundant, flourishing life with Jesus is meant to look like. A wedding party. Joy, celebration, commitment. A, a beginning of a lifelong love affair that flourishes who you really were meant to be and were created to be. Jesus' invitation is to come and drink and to be a part of the feast. Proverbs 9, 1 through 6 says it like this. Wisdom, which is a personification throughout most of Scripture for the Holy Spirit. Wisdom has built her house. She has carved its, its seven columns. She has prepared a great banquet. Mixed the wine. Set the table. She has sent her servants to invite everyone to come. She calls out from the heights overlooking the city. Come in with me. She urges the simple. To those who lack good judgment, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways behind and begin to live. Learn to use good judgment. Does that sound like a never-ending Bible study that you are bored out of your mind? No. The invitation to follow Jesus is a robust party invitation. A robust dinner party where you get to feast and enjoy and can I just let you know that he wants to have you at his banqueting table. Why? Because you are his beloved. Song of Solomon 2 verse 4 says that he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. Listen, God invites you to a banquet feast of a relationship with him. Why? Because his banner over you is love. It's an expression of his love for you you that he wants you to come and drink and taste and see that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Oh, you're his beloved and he invites you in. It's the invitation of heaven. You need to know that his banquet is plentiful. It's not running out. It's not limited and it's not lacking. His, his banquet is plentiful. Listen to it. Isaiah 25. Verse 6 through 8 says, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meats. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all incense and insults and mockery against this land and people. The Lord has spoken. It's an invitation to a bounty of life. Why? Because Jesus doesn't call, call you to a meager existence. He calls you to an abundant life that flourishes in the kingdom of God where your joy never runs out and his presence is like wine that never runs dry. It's the invite of heaven for you and me. And I want you to see and know Lest you think you're not worthy, that you're not loved, that you're not on God's radar, or that you're one who should be overlooked. He has invited you to feast, to dance, to celebrate, to the marriage. See, the invitation is not for the pious. The invitation is not to, for those who have national pedigree or cultural clout, but rather for those who recognize they are but peasants without him. This is what Matthew 5 verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
which translates this way. It's not an economic statement. It's not a financial reality, rich, poor. No, no. He's articulating a spiritual revelation and an understanding of a humble heart. Because if you feel like you deserved it, you're in it, and you're in the elite class in society, and certain things are just beneath you in the kingdom of God, then you are unfit to receive the honor of attending his banquet. Because if you're going to enter the kingdom of God, humility is a prerequisite. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace, his spirit to the humble, to the meek, to the lowly, to the hungry, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they get to be filled. It's an invite. It's an invite. What is the invitation of heaven? It's a risk of love to say, I'm going to give my life. Will you come and feast with me? It's an invitation from heaven for you to come and experience a life that flourishes. And he's using the dinner table. He's using a banquet and a feast to try to paint a picture what it's supposed to be like to follow Jesus in the kingdom of God. This is what it's meant to look like and be like. And this is why he calls us as followers to demonstrate the same thing in our lives. This leads me to my second question today. And that's this, who was the last person or family that you invited into your home to have dinner with you? As people who get to feast on the table and the blessing of the Lord and the bounty of God, the invitation as ambassadors representing the kingdom of God is to reflect the image of the king and to be about our father's business. What's our father's business? Jesus came eating and drinking and celebrating and inviting people to the table. That's what he did. And that's his model. Let me say it this way. Inviting people to a table and throwing dinner parties is Jesus' strategy for reaching the world. T to take a look at this video and, and let's unpack it a little bit. A caring man took a walk. Everywhere he looked, people suffered. Anxiety ran high. Hope dwindled. Hatred rose. His neighbors had lost trust in the system and in each other. I need to do something, he thought. I'll bring them together and feed them. Around the dinner table, they can talk and see how much they have in common. Shared struggles, shared joy, shared pain. So he prepared a feast and invited all into his home. But some refused to sit at his table because they chose to only see differences. He was heartbroken because he wanted everyone to eat and be filled, not with food and wine, but with compassion. This is the strategy of Jesus to reach the world. Throw parties. And he invites us as people who have received his invitation 
to now extend the same invitation to other people. Something transformative happens when you sit around a table and share a meal with someone else. Now, here's the problem, though. Most of us are like, Pastor, that's way too intimate. Like, what are we going to talk about? What's that going to be like? You don't understand. Like, they they come into my house, they're going to see the reality of my life. I I would argue that in our picture-posed world, where we are always posturing and trying to curate an image, it's about time the people of God said that's not the way of the kingdom, but we're willing to invite people in and get to know us, and we get to know them. We are way too individualistic in our approach to thinking that that's what salvation looks like. It is not about your insecurity, nor is it about your individuality. I, in fact, some people would say, but pastor, I'm an introvert. No, no, you're probably just isolating your life. I got to be honest, like the, the longer I'm in ministry, the less extroverted I am. Like the more I'm going in ministry, the more I need some time reconnecting with the Lord individually and, and with the Lord. I, I am very much like that. But I can no longer ignore and we can no longer ignore the strategy of heaven to reap a harvest of people to experience the tangible presence of Jesus. And the way that happens is by being people of welcome, by being people of hospitality, by being people who says, come on in. It's an imperfect life, but come, let's sit and eat and drink and find joy and laughter and human connection and know Jesus will be present among us. What would it look like if you just started having meals with people? Just to get to know them, to connect a little bit. And at the end of the meal, you just simply said, hey, how can I pray for you? And then as imperfect as you think that prayer will be, you prayed out loud for them right there. You know what would happen? The tangible presence of Jesus would show up. Because he says where two or three are gathered in, in my name, I'm right there. Because Jesus still loves coming to dinner parties. Jesus still loves coming to the table and gathering with people who have decided to, re- to, to meet and walk with him. Listen, I love what happened to, to, to Levi in the scriptures. Levi, also known as Matthew. We read his story earlier in this collection. He heard the call to follow Jesus, and he didn't know what following Jesus looked like or meant. And so he did the only thing that someone with his social status was good at. He threw a party. And he invited all of his partying friends, his heathen friends. Hey, come, we're going to hang out. This guy named Jesus is going to be here. Let's throw a party. And it was in the midst of that dinner party that God got a hold of their heart and his world flipped upside down because he experienced an encounter with Jesus because Jesus still shows up to parties. And we need to quit getting our lives and get, oh, I almost said, hold on. I almost said, you need to get the stick out of what it's stuck up in and start being people of welcome and love for the world around you. We've got to stop trying to isolate our lives and curate our lives and try to be perfect. Joanna Gaines is not going to give you a prize in heaven for having a pristine home, friends. That was a good place for the men to say amen because they get a little tired of all the renovations anyhow. Y'all missed it, fellas. I'm sorry I set you up. You were scared. Here's the deal. 
Listen, what you make ready, God will absolutely fill and use. It's a biblical principle seen again and again and again. I'm not saying leave your house dirty. Like people need a place to sit down. So the stacks of bills and papers that you've been collecting, that you've been cluttered around and haven't been organized and just being lazy, go ahead and clean those off. Make a spot for people and just invite them into your home and share a meal and have conversation. And at the end of the time, just pray for one another and go home. I'm not a theologian. Okay. Nowhere do you have to be. Levi didn't even know what it meant to follow Jesus, and he threw a party, and people found Jesus. We've got to get back to this understanding of recognizing that as people of the kingdom, hear me, if you are a person of the kingdom, you ought to like parties, and you ought to be good at them. I'm not saying big parties, expensive parties, party games. I'm not saying all that. What am I saying? I'm saying you need to be a person who's willing to cultivate an open heart and posture towards other people. Because that's where Jesus wants to meet people. Jesus isn't looking for more pastors to pound the pulpit. He's looking for people to host dinner parties. Jesus isn't looking for more people to get famous on TikTok and develop social clout. He's looking for people to be socially present with those who have not been seen or looked at who have felt uninvitable, but yet somebody invited them. And we've got a long list of excuses, and most of them all relate to our own insecurity. But when you recognize that you've been one who have been welcomed to the table, then we recognize that we also get to be those who welcome other people to the table. And it doesn't have to be 27 people. It could be just two. What, what do you, and sometimes you're like, man, I, I don't know that I can, I'm not even a good cook. Okay, don't invite them to your house for sure. <laughs> but say, hey, let's go to this restaurant where they cook professionally and you bring your wallet and I'll bring my wallet. We'll go Dutch. But you can still have fellowship, have relationship. You can still create a space for the tangible presence of Jesus to show up as you demonstrate what it looks like to be party people who extend invites to other people. It's important, though, to, to realize that for most of us, our lives are too crowded, and so we're not making room for Jesus, and we're not making room for other people. But hear me, friends. God doesn't fill crowded spaces he feels open spaces of welcome. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 9. It says, I once thought all of these things were valuable. What things? Paul is talking about the social clout and the impressiveness that other people would think about him. He's talking about other people who, who, had, who recognized his curated image. And what he thought was so important about what other people thought. He says, I once thought all of these things were valuable. All these pursuits were, were something I considered. But now I count them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. Counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. 
do you hear the relationship language? He's not inviting you to a religious exercise, a demonstration of piety and religiosity. No, he's inviting you to a relationship with God Almighty that is tangible, that is fixed. But there's some things that you're holding on to that you've got to count as trash. All the things that you thought were so important, Paul says, I've dumped them in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by him. All these things that I thought were going to happen because I obeyed the righteous law rather than becoming righteous through faith in Christ, God's way of making us right with him. In other words, he was saying, I'm trying to do it on my own. I'm chasing my own version of the good life and I've missed out on the invitation of Jesus to experience the abundant life, the flourishing life, the life in the kingdom of God. Friends, don't be so busy chasing the good life in your world, in your family, and in your home that by culture standards, you're living the good life, but you never cultivate the good life that Jesus actually invited you to have. Don't chase the wrong things. This leads me to the third question we need to ask ourselves. If we're going to accept the invitation of heaven, if we're not going to become these staunch, religious, grumpy, if we're going to experience the joy of the banquet and the party of the Lord, you need to ask yourself this question. Are you too busy to banquet with the Father, Son, and Spirit? Is your world too busy to banquet with God? You can... Recall and tell me every episode of Yellowstone and its plot. But you can't tell me what the book of 1 John is about? You can recall chief stats from 2012, talk about it for 10 straight minutes, but not recall a single scripture that you read last week, nor talk about it for more than 20 seconds. Devotion to the Lord is not a drive-through. It's a banquet. It's a banquet. He doesn't invite us to come and order our number seven of healing and wholeness and then go about our day. It's not a drive-by. It's a banquet. You can rearrange your day because your boss needs a meeting with you late at night, but you won't turn off the news to spend time in God's presence on your own. Are you too busy to banquet with Father, Son, and Spirit in your own life? You will move heaven and earth to get your kids to their games and cheer them on as loud as you can, but you will not lift your voice nor clap your hands in honor of the King of Kings who has set out a banquet table of love for you to feast on and has given you everything. Are you too busy to banquet with God? The invitation to banquet with God is one that we reject and ignore to our own peril. If we don't ready ourselves to attend the banquet, to attend the wedding, we do so at our own soul's risk. Matthew 22, 11 through 14. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. 
friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and his feet and throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, few are chosen. One commentator, I had to go to the commentaries to, to figure this out. Because why would God reject someone based on the clothing that they wore? I mean, it seems a little superfluous. It seems so counterintuitive. It seems so incorrect. I mean, we're, if there's really a dress code in heaven, I'm in trouble. <laughs> if there's a dress code to come to church, I'm the first. Look out now. Surely there has to be more going on here. Surely that's not really what this is trying to illuminate and speak. I had to go to the commentaries. I had to search. I read about five or six different commentaries on this. Try to figure this out. One says it like this. Verse 11 through 14 introduces a, a very new note. Even among the, the new people who have been invited, there is no automatic guarantee of salvation. They, enclose, they include both the good and the bad. Even some from the streets should have put on clean white clothes which were appropriate for a wedding. To fail to do so is to insult the host. So while the kingdom of heaven is absolutely open to anyone who will come, it does make a demand on those who would want to attend. There is no place for those who will not take their privilege to respond to the invitation seriously. Verse 14 then summarizes the situation not only for the originally invited guests, but even for those newcomers who were invited as well. What does verse 14 say? For many are called, but few are chosen. Now, first reading in our English translations, you would think that would be a statement of God's predestination and sovereignty. That there are some people that God has predestined and chosen no matter what to get into heaven and there are those that he has predestined and already made a decision will go to hell. And whatever God wills is everything that happens in this world. And while I understand the nuance of that theological thought, it's not really congruent with the parable that Jesus just told us. That would be taking that scripture and rearranging the context of it. So I had to do some more digging and look into this. Okay, Lord, what, what are you saying? And when I went to some uh, original language resources and I started studying out, it seems that our English translations have added some things to, for clarity because if you read it the way it's originally written and you just word for word kind of literally translate it, it doesn't read very easily and it's grammatically a mess in our language. Here's what it would literally say if you read it as is. Many four are invited, few but elect. Many four are invited, few but elect. Doesn't read clean, but I think we begin to understand what is being said. What, what is he saying? Many received an invitation of the spirit to respond and come to the wedding to come and be married to the king to the king's son many have been invited to the banquet few actually elect to respond ready themselves and attend faithfully few elect to do so 
many will hear the message of Jesus and even intellectually agree with the particulars of the theology, but never pledge their allegiance to the king. Many will hear the invite and be like, oh, that party, it sounds kind of fun. But they don't go through the preparation. They don't go through the renewal. They won't go through the transformation. They won't walk the process of discipleship. They won't live a life in honor of him, readying themselves like a bride ready on her wedding day. They just showing up thinking that they prayed a prayer one time and they're in for good because they're American by golly. And every American's going to heaven when they die. It's a sober reminder that to ignore the invitation of heaven is to do so at our own peril. There is a rejection that people still give to the king when he invites them to come and experience the banquet of the Lord. There is a readiness that he invites us into that we must be ready for. Not everyone changes their clothes before they get to the wedding. Repentance is what cleans out our hearts. Water baptism is this outward expression of us being clothed in Christ. It's not that baptism is what guarantees your entrance, but baptism is part of the cleansing, demonstrating process that my allegiance is to Jesus, that I'm being washed by his blood, and I'm going to be spotless and blameless before him. But it's not just baptism. It's choosing every day to live a life of holiness, moving in his direction, having all of my affection and my attention, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm here prioritizing heaven in my life. I'm here not just driving through with my devotion so that I can say I did my devotions. Check. No, I'm here cultivating a life of devotion because Jesus is returning for a bride that is pure. Jesus is returning for a church who has been readying herself, practicing their love, putting on the dance so that they're ready for the first dance. They've been practicing their worship and their adoration so they're ready to welcome the king when he comes. There's some clothing we have to put on. His name is Christ. His name is Christ. Colossians 3, 1 through 10 says it like this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll get to share in the glory. In other words, the banquet and the feast, it's yours. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of the Lord is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behaviors, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature, your new clothes, your church clothes. 
and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. The invitation to the banquet is open. The question is when you're ready to receive the invitation, recognizing that it's an open invite, that it's going to be beautiful and wonderful. This relationship will be amazing and beautiful and glorious. There is an understanding. I've accepted the invite. I've said yes to Jesus. But my life as a follower and a wedding attendee and a coming bride is one that I'm still going to ready myself. I'm still going to practice it. I'm still going to clothe Christ. I'm going to put on him and put away the ways of the world. Put away the flesh. I'm going to dust it off and I'm going to go and be ready for him. Friends, a wedding banquet is a picture of what happens when, we, when Christ returns. When the kingdom of heaven is in full culmination, it's going to be wild. So much joy and rejoicing and bounty. It's a party you don't want to miss. Revelation 19, 7 through 9 describes it like this. Let us be glad and rejoice. Look at your neighbor. Are they still smiling? Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride, that's the church, that's you and me as followers of Jesus. And his bride has prepared herself, put on the right clothes. She has been given the finest of pure white linens to wear. Pause. He gives you the right clothes to wear. It's his righteousness and love and endurance. It's the spirit of God that he seals you with the moment you accepted the invite. He's given you the clothes. The question is, will you wear them? Will you continue to wear them? Look, it goes on to say, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are true words that come from God. Friends, it's been anecdotally said that if you remove all of the passages and scriptures in the Bible that have to do with mountains, and all of the passages in the scriptures that have to do with feastings and meals you'll be left with very little scripture. Why? Because the main invitation of heaven is to come and feast and eat. To eat, drink, and taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an invitation to come to a, be a participant at a wedding feast where you are actually the bride prepared and ready for the sun where you and I are the ones celebrating this feast celebrating this, the, the, the coming of the king, the, the coming of the groom and oh he's been preparing an ultimate feast for us to enjoy but we get a taste of it here and now in the life and our relationship and the flourishing of God. It's an invite to come and be satisfied, to come and be welcome, to, sat to come and be people of welcome that invite others to the banquet, that give them a foretaste of what does it look like to be the people of God. It looks like sitting around a table, eating, drinking, laughing, enjoying, because God is good. 
Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm knocking. Can you hear the knock over all of the Netflix and Yellowstone episodes? Can you hear the knock of your priorities of work and making money and earning, earning a living? Can you hear the knock over the you trying to curate an image and develop social clout? Can you hear the knock of trying to be known and famous among the people and be impressive to the people around you? Can you hear the knock over your pretending to not be broken and needing a savior? Can you hear the knock of your, your busyness and your sports and your activities and the things that you distract your life with to numb the reality that you're not really satisfied either. Can you hear the knock of the failures of your life where the king is knocking at the door and he says, behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking and if anyone will hear the knock and open the door, what does it say? I will come in, make all their problems go away, I will come in and make them righteous and holy and live a perfect life and they'll be impressive to the world. No. I'll come in and fix all the political problems in their lives and answer to all of their questions and heal everything that they need healed. It'll be perfect and wonderful. And it says, I will come in and eat, dine, feast with them. Why? Because the invitation of the king is into a relationship. It's to a lifelong love affair that brings flourishing in your life. That's the invitation of heaven. Would you stand with me? And for those who have the communion elements, go ahead and pull those out. If you didn't get elements and would like to participate, just kind of wave one of our hosts down. They're in the aisles looking for you. They love to come and make sure you had this. Would you go ahead and open the cup, get the bread out, hold it in your hand. Then you can flip it over and open the cup. But hold on to both of them. We'll, we'll all partake in a minute. What is it the Lord invites us to do? What is it that we as a family come and do every week? We come to the table. We come to a meal. We come to a little meal that is said to remind us of an invitation into a relationship of communion with Jesus. Does God have a problem with you working hard in your business? No, not at all. Does God have a problem with your activities and your things? No, not at all. Does he have a problem with having a full social calendar? Does God have a problem with you working hard at whatever it is? Does God have a problem? No, no, he doesn't. Except when you have no time to banquet with him. You have no time to grow in the ways of God because you're too busy to come to the table and accept his invitation. See, because when we stand before him, it's not going to be, hey, I, I get to come in because I heard the invite. It's going to be, I've adorned myself in the love, in the life, in the formation, and the discipleship as an apprentice to Jesus. We have a relationship together. And he's going to say, come and eat and dine. But there will be those on that last day who will stand before him and say, hey, hey, 
Remember all the things that we did in our life? It was all for your good name, Jesus, of course. And he's going to say, depart. I never knew you. We didn't have a relationship. Friends, the invitation to the table of communion is to come and be married to the king. In ancient Near East weddings, like those in Jesus' day, there were two major components to a wedding. The first was known as the betrothal, where a groom who was interested or arranged through the parents would go and present a request to a man to marry his daughter. And a part of that request is offering a dowry, a payment for the opportunity to marry and be betrothed to this woman. Now, the betrothal was the most important part because there was a price that would be paid. And then there would be a long period of time before the banquet. But once the price was established and it was agreed upon, the groom would pour a glass of wine. And the bride would drink the glass of wine. And in her drinking of the wine, thus sealed a new covenant. And it was like they were married from that day on. It was the promise that the marriage was happening. It was that moment. It was sealed. Why? Because the price had been paid and the cup had been received. Then there would be about a year's period of time. And in that period of time, the the groom would go to his father's house. They wouldn't really see each other for like a year. And he would go to his father's house and he would add an expansion, adding a room onto the father's house. And then when the room was ready and the year had passed, in between that time, he would also send a gift to the bride. A gift to let her know I'm thinking of you. A gift to know that I'm with you. A gift to know that I'm sealing my covenant. I haven't changed my mind. We're going to get married and it's going to be awesome. Much like the gift that Jesus said I'm sending to you through the Spirit who will empower you and live in you and be a seal that you know we're going to spend eternity celebrating our relationship together. And when the time comes for the bride to come back, this is when the banquet happens. This is when the feast happens. Betrothal happened. The gifts were happened. The room was ready. And the groom would go back and it was time for the banquet. And when the groom returned, there would be dancing and celebration and they would consummate the marriage that day. And it would be week-long celebration of feasting and joy and great food and amazing wine. And it would just be the party of all parties. This is what's happening at the communion table. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give my body and my life for you. Here's a cup of wine that's going to represent the price I paid for your relationship. And when you drink this cup, you're saying yes to this covenant. And my spirit's going to live in you. He's a gift. But don't worry, I'm coming back. And when I come back, we're having a party because we've cultivated a relationship and we're celebrating our union. And in the meantime, the bride gets ready for her groom, waits with patient anticipation for her groom to come. Friends, this is where we're at. This is what we celebrate. The table of the Lord is not 
a solemn moment of a funeral. The table of the Lord is a mini representation of the feast and party that is to come. Communion is meant to be a joyous occasion, not one full of regret and sorrow. As we stand here now with these elements in our hands, the bread which represents his body and the cup which represents his blood, the payment for our relationship. Would you just close your eyes for a minute and just pause? That'll be a mess. Spilled the cup. It'll be all right. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Would you bow your heads? Just ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Has there been an invitation that you've rejected? Has there been, are you been too busy to cultivate this banquet with the Lord in your life? Is God speaking to you about being a person who has not only received of the bounty of the Lord, but to become a person who invites others to be recipients and to experience the bounty in the tangible moment of a meal? What, what is it for you? Holy Spirit, here we stand. knowing, Jesus, that you poured the cup of the covenant for us to drink and receive, and you've given us the bread to partake of. Lord, you said that every time we eat and drink, we're to remember you until you return. So, Lord, this is about us celebrating and anticipating your return. So, Lord, we do so with joy today. We're grateful. Now with a smile on your face, will you take the bread and just say, Lord, thank you for your body. And with a smile on your face, will you say, Jesus, thank you for your blood. Lord, we're grateful that you invited us and we can be people who invite others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.